We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Wow, you never know what you get when you give somebody $50 and say, give me a good introduction. I'm wondering what would have happened if I had gave him a $100 bill. Woo, thank you, Tim, for the kind words. Hey, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, I, since we're talking about gospel conversations, I just thought it'd be, seemed like it just right to get off the stage and not really preach, but more engage in maybe a conversation with you. And so uh, this morning, I'm excited, especially because I feel like I've come here to speak to God's uh, post office here in Mainville, Ohio. Now, maybe you've never seen the gathering that way before, uh, but I really believe that God's intention for his church is that we would gather on Sunday so that we could scatter Monday through Saturday. And that ultimately, each one of us has a route. It's a place where, we'll talk about it later, where we engage people who are outside the church. And so this morning, I want to talk about how can we increase the quantity and the quality of our God conversations? How can we kind of ramp that up? And I so appreciate that the fact that Mike and the leadership here at the church has been going after that. And I loved hearing the stories today of some of the the, the uh, successes that you felt like you had and the failures, because the reality is uh, failure. Uh, in fact, I will tell you right now, just the book I wrote called God Space is, is really um, a compilation of all the failures of going out and trying to have these conversations and falling flat on my face sometimes. But God gave me new wisdom to get up and do it again. And so this morning I'm going to be sharing some of that with uh, you. Let's see if we can get technology. Where did I get this idea that uh, you are God's postal workers, that the church is God's post office? Well, actually from the scriptures. And uh, we're going to uh, jump into a passage where Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. It's found in actually John chapter 20, verse 21. You're going to you're gonna have to, this morning we're having a little technology uh, issues some of the screens are going to be cut off on the, on the left side, so uh, most of the print will be there. Here's what he said. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I want to ask you a question, church. Have you ever embraced the idea that you are God's sent one? His mailman, his mailwoman. That, that ultimately he wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. Jesus was very clear about this whole idea of sending because if you, if you follow his ministry, you can't help but get this. Right at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew, he makes it clear, hey, listen, guys, if you're going to hang with me, the disciples, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my, here's my mission statement. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. 
halfway through his ministry, he says, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. When he is leaving in Matthew 28, he says, go and do what I've been training you to do. And throughout his ministry, Jesus was always sending his disciples out. You remember when he sent out the 70 or the 72? They didn't have a whole lot of training at that point in time. But they knew enough, just like this woman at the well, come and meet the man who told me everything about myself. She didn't know very much, but she was willing to go and share what she did know. And I think that's one of the things I run into all the time in the body of Christ is so many people lack confidence and competence. They feel like, you know, I don't know as much as Pastor Mike. I didn't go to Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, I haven't had my nose in the Bible, you know, as much as some of the other Christians I know. So I really am not entitled to do this thing called speak for Jesus and to be an ambassador. The truth of the matter is, if you know Christ here this morning, you know enough to share with somebody else what they probably don't yet know. And I hope that you'd agree with me this morning that if coming to know Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, then the greatest thing you can do for someone that you've met, someone in your family system, someone that you uh, bump into, is to share that good news with them. The Apostle Paul certainly understood this. Look at what he said uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He said, we have been, there's that word again, sent to speak for Christ. It is like God is calling to people through us. Now, here's the thing that blows my mind, and it probably should blow yours too. Why in the world would God ever want to use a bunch of knuckleheads like us? I mean, we don't have it all together. We're not always the greatest examples of the church or the greatest examples of Christianity. And yet still, God wants to use us. He's given us this privilege. He's invited us into this process of being his mailman and to send us out so that we might speak for him. How many of you have attempted to deliver God's mail and that's what you feel like you experienced? You feel like the mail got returned to sender. Anybody here this morning uh, been in that category? Um, I know I certainly have over the years. In fact, I wrote a whole chapter in my book on this and uh, the chapter is called this. 10 Spiritual Conversation Killers. If you want to find out what not to do here today, when you leave here this, this Sunday and attempt to maybe have one of these God conversations like people were talking about today, you go right to my chapter two in my book and you can find out 10 things you do not want to do. I uh, could have been introduced this morning by Tim in uh, this way. Hey, this morning... Um, we have a guy coming and he is a recovering evangelist. I could have stood up and said, hi, my name is Doug. And you guys would have all said, great, I feel like I'm right at home here. The reality is, like I said, uh, I failed my way into some of what I wrote about in my book. And in chapter two, I talk about that. So if you're one of those people who feels like, boy, when I walk away from there, I didn't feel like that person ever wants to talk to me again or... Or it didn't go too well in my family system. And they say, hey, don't ever bring that up again. You might want to get uh, and open up and read chapter two and find out some things not to do 
to have conversations. I mentioned that every one of us has a route. If I hung out with you this week, I could tell you where your route is. It's where you go to work. It's where you work out. It's where you shop. It's the neighborhood you live in. In other words, in the words of one lady who was at my, my workshop, she said, Doug, do you know where I'm a missionary? I said, no. She says, anywhere these two feet are planted. And I'm like, she's got it. She really has it. That ultimately, if the, 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 the whole idea of church is that we would gather in our seats on Sunday so we could take it to the streets Monday through Saturday, then um, this whole idea of making Jesus known to others in practical, doable, and authentic ways is, is really what uh, God is calling his church to be about. And each one of us has a route. And, um, you know, this route that you're on, uh, you get to know people and meet people that Pastor Mike's never going to meet unless by chance they happen to come here at some point. The idea is that if we are a church that scatters like God intended, the propensity of somebody coming here on Sunday morning is directly connected to how many people are actually leaving here on Sunday and being the church Monday through Saturday. The reason why a lot of our churches are shrinking across America is because for some reason, we, we just miss this idea of being God's mailman. Uh, this is actually what I think is happening to the American church uh, across the country. The mail is piling up in the post office. It's not getting out to the people's boxes. We're not sharing this good news with other people. Someone did a study um, on 30,000 churches in America. No small study. And here's what they learned. That of the 30,000 churches, only 150 of those churches could report that they had any organic growth. In other words, that somebody left the church on Sunday, started to meet with somebody out there, started to share the good news of Jesus. They said, hey, I want what you have, and eventually became a Christian, and then eventually came to the church and were baptized and started to follow Jesus. In other words, the church wasn't growing because there was a church split and half the people decided to come here because you got the coolest worship band, coolest church, and all that kind of stuff that often happens in a city. No, they were actually growing because people were leaving the church and delivering God's mail. The other 99.5% of the churches, zero. Zero organic growth. I was working on the, one of the largest churches in Cincinnati here and, and uh, as a, a consultant, as a coach, and I asked their leadership, hey, in this past year, how many people did you were added to the name of Jesus because somebody in your church actually reached out and they just like zero. What are we doing? Are we just talking to ourselves? I mean, the church, if we're not careful, can become an inwardly focused, absorbed uh, community of people who who like each other because you vote the same, you dress the same, uh, you kind of have some of the same values, and you like each other. And that's cool. 
It's cool that you gather and you like each other, but that's not the intention. The intention for God and for his church is not that we become a country club or a fraternity or a sorority. Ultimately, the the intention of, of God's church is that we would gather so that we could scatter. As I look back over uh, the history of the church here in, in the 20th century and where we're at today, I'd like to suggest that if you, and a lot of you have grown up in, in a church like this, that, that, that the primary strategy of most churches uh, were, was, was kind of a come and see strategy. In other words, the whole idea was, hey, you guys go out and invite the people into the church because the master fisherman, Mike, is here. And your job is just to get the fish into the aquarium. There was a time when that strategy worked a lot in America. Uh, it's doing all these days in most places across the United States. Because we live in different times and different days. Uh, I would suggest in the 21st century, if we're going to be wise, we need to, to focus on more away games. You know, the church is playing way too many home games. We need to play more away games. Where instead of a come and see strategy, we need to train and equip people to go and be the church in the everyday world they live in. To be salt and light where right where they work and right where they live. Now if you want to talk about what it feels like to play an away game, right there, that's, that, that's probably it. And, and it could be happening this morning to Pastor Mike. Some of you might know he's uh, heading up this morning uh, with his family to see uh, Caleb Newman play uh, lacrosse against the Ohio State Buckeyes. They're playing today. Uh, Caleb plays for Cornell, and so they're going to, you know, the whole family's going to meet up there now. It would be interesting to see which side they sit on. They're, they live in Ohio, but their son plays for Cornell. <laughs> and, you know, if you've ever caught yourself in a situation where you're surrounded by a sea of people who are not kind of like your your team. I mean, the colors are different, and they aren't rooting for the same things you are. It's quite interesting. And I would say that one of the things we're going to have to get used to, and one of the things I don't think we like as Christians, is that Christianity has diminished in America in terms of where it used to be. And so we're starting to feel more and more like we are in the minority. And so in one sense, we're going to be forced to, just literally by what's going on, to have to play more away games. Just because there aren't as many people going to churches as there once were here in America. Well, a big idea then would be that, hey, uh, this would be a great tagline for your church. Hey, we're a church that gathers on Sunday so that we can scatter Monday through Saturday. That really, to me, captures the essence of what God intended for his church. Now, I'm going to do something pretty crazy here this morning. By way of technology, um, I've invited a, someone to speak this morning who actually is an atheist, but he has something to say about what we're talking about, this whole idea of being God's postal worker, God's mailman. Maybe some of you know him. He actually has a show on TV. His name is Penn Gilliatt. The show is called Fool Us. He also has a well-known act in, in Las Vegas. And a lot of people uh, know him from there as well. But listen to what he has to say about this whole idea of us being ambassadors, about us 
sharing our faith. And uh, see if you come to the same conclusion I have. If God can cause a donkey to talk, then maybe he can cause an atheist to talk for him. Listen to what he has to say. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way... It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you, and this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. Wow, I don't know what you thought as you listened to him, but I'm going, we just got called out by an atheist. This guy's saying, if this is what you sing about this morning in church, if this is what you say you believe, if this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, then why in the heck would, how much do you have to hate the people on your route to keep this message to yourself? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, it doesn't even jive with what most of us do in the rest of the areas of our life. I mean... I would assume you guys are a lot like myself and my wife. You go to a great restaurant, you like to share that with your friends. Hey, you got it. Man, the food was fantastic. You go to a great movie. I'm pretty sure, based on the little, little snippets I'm seeing on TV, that this week, probably the next week or so, we're going to be hearing about Top Gun for the next month. Because people are going to be talking up like it's the greatest movie of the summer. It's fantastic. You've got to go watch it. The reality is, when we have powerful experiences, it's just natural and normal for us to talk about that which has made an impression upon us. And so in a similar fashion, I think what he's really saying is, listen, you've got to get over the awkwardness of it. The reality is, if this is what you say you believe, it just makes sense for you to be talking to other people about your relationship with Jesus. Now, if I were sitting where you were sitting, listening to a message like this, 
Uh, often people will come up to me afterwards and, and I say, these are the million dollar questions. These are the questions I get asked all over the world. It doesn't matter where I go. Seems like God's people all have at least these two questions in their mind. And maybe you're sitting here thinking the same thing this morning. How do I pull this off? I mean, I live in the same world you do. I mean, our culture is so polarized right now in so many different ways. There's so much tension. How do I do this? How do I bring God into my conversations without it feeling awkward or coming across like I'm a marketing rep for Jesus? How do I naturally transition from talking about everyday things to sharing the good news of the gospel? Fair questions. And, and ultimately, if you're going to increase the quantity and the quality of your God conversations, you're going to have to wrestle with some answers for these questions in terms of how to pull this off. A couple of other questions I think that are also pertinent. First one is this, how do I get out of this box? Maybe you didn't know you were in this box. Well, I go, I spend a lot of time on the college campuses and I often ask college students, hey, what's the first word that you think of when you hear the word Christian? This is what I get all the time. Uh, judgmental, narrow-minded, holier than thou anti-intellectual, condescending, homophobic, hypocritical, intolerant. Wow, I'd like to find Mike right now and thank him for having me come here to speak to such a group of people. <laughs> now I realize you guys don't see yourselves that way. But here's the deal. You got, you got to get this. People outside the church their perception of us is their reality. For a lot of people outside the church, we're scary people. I mean, you got to think about it from a person who's been raised in a family where, you know, God was never brought up. And if they showed up at a building like this, I mean, think about what you guys just did today. You sang songs to somebody you couldn't see for 20 to 30 minutes. You guys are ready for the loony bin. And then if you happen to hit the right Sunday, you get to drink the blood and eat the body of Jesus. What is up with these people? And then you pay for some, the whole experience, you know, pay for the sermon through something called an offering. I mean, a lot of people who don't understand and have a Christian background, we're not as safe. We don't feel as safe to them as we think we are to ourselves. The reality is their perception is their reality. Another question I think we have to wrestle with is how do we do this? How do we be wise in the way we act towards those who are outside the Christian faith? That's what we're told in Colossians 4 or 5, that we're to be wise towards those who are outside the church. This morning, we're going to attempt to to put some, to give some answers to those questions and uh, the Barna research team is actually helping us this morning because they did a on the street interview with people who are far from God or who are unchurched. And here was the question they asked. It's a good one. Hey, if you ever wanted to talk to a Christian about God, what would you hope they would do? And what would you hope they wouldn't do? That was the question they put out on the street. Number one response, hands, hands down, 
is that we would listen to them without judgment. You want to be wise towards outsiders? You'd be wise to, to take a, a word from James 1.19, which says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm afraid too many of us, and I certainly, this is part of where I blew it in years past. I showed up ready to speak. My spiritual gift was being quick to speak and slow to listen. Anybody else feel like that's your spiritual gift too? The reality is people outside the church are not necessarily ready to hear what we have to say. And so we think this whole thing about having conversations is we've got to start it. We've got to, you know, say something. And the reality is a lot of times if we're going to be wise towards outsiders, we need to listen to them first so that the Holy Spirit might give us some insight and wisdom, even in terms of what to say. Number two, that we would avoid being pushy. Talk to so many people outside the church. You know, Christians are always just trying to push their faith on me. You know, they're always trying to get me to come to this and get me to come to that. And pretty soon we start to come across like marking reps who call at 7.30 at night when you're sitting down to dinner or 6.30 whenever your family does it. And, you know, I, I've actually done this, at, you know, at our house. Uh, it, it happens right at dinner time. And how many times can I say no before they finally actually get it? And I actually was on the line with a lady seven times. I politely said no in different ways. And she was still trying to sell me as if I was going to respond. And I get to the point where I'm so exasperated. I'm saying, listen, you could offer me a million dollars right now. I want nothing of what you have to offer. Why? Because you haven't been listening to me. And fundamentally, what you've been doing is disrespecting me. For the last five minutes here on the phone. And so I don't want what you've got. And sometimes what happens to us as Christians is we're so excited about our faith. We want to share it so bad that someone gives us a little bit of window. We want to jump in and dump truck them with everything we know about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we might even throw in the maps. The reality is not everybody's ready for our biggie size spiritual meal. And we need to understand that when we oversupply, that a lot of times what we do is we kill the demand. So this is part of being wise towards outsiders. Well, you can see the other three up there, that we'd allow them to draw their own conclusions, that we'd show an interest in their life and story, and that we'd ask them good questions. I'd like to, to see how you're doing in this listening thing, because... Um, there's a, another guy out there who believes that we need to learn in, in the 21st century how to listen people into the kingdom. And I think he's on to something. So I, I'd like you to take this listening test. Uh, what I'd like you to do is respond yes and no to these 10, uh, these 10 phrases up here when others are talking to me. And uh, keep track of how many yeses you come up with. So go for it. Uh, just work your way through the list real quickly. See how many yeses you come up with. How many of you uh, honestly say, I, I definitely had three or more yeses? In most audiences, that's pretty normal. 
And uh, what I've learned is that um, if you want to increase the quantity and the quality of your God conversations, the greatest thing to do is become a better listener. People out there are starved for people who would just listen for heaven's sake. So we think always about conversations about that we have to talk. Have you ever stopped to think about this, that people often will remember how you do the conversation even more than what you say in the conversation? You know, do, did you treat them respectfully? Did you give attention to what they had to say? And so listening is a very, very big deal. And that's why uh, I carry this book with me. I didn't write it. The two authors are actually from Cincinnati. It's over a million copy bestseller. It's been around for a long, long time. And it might be wise for you to pick up a copy of this book. And if you do, turn right to chapter 5, because in chapter 5 it describes eight different kinds of listeners. And you would swear, if you look there, that they've been walking around in your pocket because you're going to find, my gosh, that's, that's me. I do that all the time. I mentioned to you earlier that um, every one of us has a route. Well, that's us. What about them? Have you ever stopped to think about this? That everybody you meet on your route has a spiritual address. Everybody is living somewhere in relationship to God. And that they have a zip code, if you would, where they're living. And some are closer to God than others. Some are resistant to the claims of Christianity. And if you're going to be wise towards outsiders, the whole idea is, you know, if you're going to deliver a piece of mail, you have to have the exact address and hoping that it will get delivered to where you want it to go. In the same way, I think one of the reasons today why uh, often... The Jesus mail that we're sending to people isn't connecting with them is because we don't really know where people are living, spiritually speaking. We, as, as one person said in one of my workshops, he said, Doug, I think we are sending people Jesus junk mail. In other words, it's not personally addressed. It, it's, not, it's not God's story intersecting their story right where they're living. It's us just kind of giving this blanket generic uh, piece of mail that just doesn't, it doesn't connect with their lives. And so part of the work we have to do as an evangelist is to find out where someone is presently living. It's, it's where someone is residing in proximity to God. When we discover someone's spiritual address, then we can begin to join the conversation God has already been having with them. And that is a very big deal. Have you ever stopped to think about that before you ever showed up on the scene? God has already been having a conversation with them, already trying to draw them to himself. And our challenge is, how can we join that conversation? Well, since uh, Pastor Mike is heading up to, to the, the Buckeye Stadium today, I thought we'd use an analogy from um, uh, that place. And uh, I'm going to suggest to you that if you're going to be wise towards outsiders... That your conversations have to start where people are in relationship to God, not where you'd like them to be. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, in the game of football, 
Um, ultimately, the way the game starts is the coins toss, one team wins, one team loses, one team chooses to receive. And the game doesn't start until the ball is kicked off and one team catches the ball. The game starts where the team catches the ball in the field, not where they'd like to catch it. Wouldn't it be great if everybody you talked to ready to come to church the next Sunday? Wouldn't that be exciting? I think most of you inherently know that's not true. You know that not a lot of people are not that, if you would say, real close to making some kind of decision for Christ. And so if we're going to be wise, we have to start where they are, where they are living in proximity to God. Now, as you think about this, how many of you have somebody right now in your life who is a long, long way away from God? They are very resistant to the claims of Christianity. Anybody have anybody in your life like that? How do you move the ball? I mean, you know, if, if you're not careful, you might get flipped off because it's like, get that stuff out of here. So how do you engage them in a way that moves them off the field? How about for the people who are apathetic and say, hey, if that's your thing, that's fine for you. Just don't push it onto me. Or, or maybe at Christmas and Easter, they show up here at the gathering because you're doing something big. And the biggest mistake we make is when they show a little bit of interest, we have a tendency to oversupply and kill the demand. Or what if somebody were seeking and they were close to the end zone and uh, a touchdown? Do you feel like you know how to lead them into a relationship with Christ? Now, um, yeah, there we go. OH, come on now. Now I'm seeing I'm feeling a little fervor here this morning. Now, you know, if you've been to a Buckeyes game, that ultimately, um, good football teams don't just take the ball down the field and score often in just one play. That sometimes there's first down, sometimes they lose yardage. In other words, the ball can go all over the field, but the good football teams are committed to first downs and sustained drives. Here's a big idea for it. I think a lot of times people in the church feel like failures because... They want to have that one big conversation with somebody and think that somebody's going to become a Christian in the moment. The reality is that's the exception, not the norm. For most people, it's more like the football being moved down the field, like there's this nudging that goes on. It, it, could you just commit yourself to the nudging ministry where, where you water a seed or you plant a seed, um, you encourage somebody, that ultimately God uses those little nudges, those little touches to move the ball. And that counts in the bigger economy of God. That God's kingdom ultimately, I would suggest to you, advances one touch at a time, one conversation at a time. And really, if you're going to get really specific, I would say God's kingdom advances one aha at a time, one revelation that God gives us about himself at a time. And it very rarely happens like the Apostle Paul, a Damascus Road conversion, that for most people, and think about your own story of how you came to faith. Uh, there were multiple touches in my life before I became a Christian at the age of 20. And for most people, that's probably more the norm. Well, I want to end my time here today with you guys. I'm going to share a story 
that I think uh, maybe ties some of the ideas of what we talked about in today. And uh, hopefully, um, as we walk our way through this story, I'm going to stop at different places to kind of make sure you don't miss the biggie, the big point uh, that's being made in this story. And I think these, if you grab a hold of some of these big points, it will help you this week as you think about the people on your route. This uh, lady here is actually a uh, lead singer in a band. And um, I was on my way to Edmonton, Canada to speak to one of the largest churches in Canada, 2,500 people. And I got on a plane early in the morning. I had a road to myself and I was excited because I'm like, now I can spread out, put on, because I had a lot of work to do to get ready to speak that night. Right before they closed the door, this lady comes running down the jetway, just barely making it the plane before they close the door. And when you know it, she's sitting in, in the seat right next to me. So I had to gather all my stuff, get it out of the way. And she, you know, plops herself down. Now the word on the street is, ladies, most of you need 25,000 words a day to feel like it's a good day. This lady was a flaming extrovert. I think she needed 40,000 words that day and she hadn't started because the day was just getting going. So as soon as she sat down, she started to fire hose me. And I'm sitting there going, God, not now. I don't want to do this now. And there's our first time out. The reality is if you're waiting to feel like having a God conversation, that might not really ever come. But a lot of times, um, I just need to, to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, I need to lose my life in this conversation if I'm going to find it. And I found myself in a wrestling match. And I thought I had a pretty good angle on God on this one. Because like, God, you know I'm speaking to 2,500 of your people tonight. I got to get that done. I, 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 and then I realized I've wrestled with God many times and it just makes better sense to just tap out quick and say, okay, God, your way, not my way. Yahweh, not my way. So that's what I did. And I closed my laptop. I did remind God, hey, you better give me some time between now and tonight because I'm not ready to speak to 2,500 people. So we started talking and um, soon found out she was a world traveler just like myself. She'd been to 26 different countries. I'd been to 42. And uh, we just started sharing favorite places, best food, best visual sights. I mean, we had something in common. And I would suggest to you that one of the greatest things you can do with people outside the church is to find common ground. Now, people often inside the church will say, Doug, I don't have anything in common with people outside the church. I don't drink like they drink. I, the, the sex, the stuff they talk about disgusts me. They're jokes. I mean, they start going through the nasty nine, the filthy five, the dirty dozen, and they list all the things that they don't have in common. I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Are, are you a son or a daughter? Um, did you go to high school? Did you go to college? Do you have a job? Do you have stresses and pressures just like they do? Are you a parent? Uh, I mean, in other words, you have life in common. 
There's all kinds of life experiences. And so one of the greatest things I think we can do is to find common ground with other people. And so that's what I did. We started talking and um, soon found out, you know, that uh, we had this in common in terms of being a world traveler. And at, at some point it started to dawn on me. My curiosity started to peak. I'm like, I wonder what takes her to all these places. I know what I'm doing when I go to the travel in all these countries to share the good news, but what's taking her to all these places? So I said, wow, what an exciting life you live. So, so what takes you all over the world? She goes, oh, I'm the lead singer in a band. And I'm sitting there going, I don't, think I've, I don't think I know her. Maybe I should know her. Maybe I should be asking for her autograph. You know, my kids are going to go, my boys are going to go, dad. You were sitting next to Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac, and you didn't ask for her autograph? But um, uh, I found out, you know, she, she, she was actually going to Canada, you know, up there to, to sing as well. She had a big concert, a big gig up there. And um, so we, you know, you know, started talking about that in terms of what's taken her um, all over the world. And... Uh, um, I, I asked her another question. I, 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 I said, um, she, you got to understand the context of what was happening on this flight. This was like a month before the presidential election where uh, Barack Obama became into his second term. Uh, he already served four years and, and, and this was, and somehow, um, uh, I asked her this question. I said, tell me about your most exciting gig. Like of all the ones you've done all the world, what's, what's the one that you like enjoyed the most? She said, oh, that's really easy. Um, I once, and I'll show you the picture. I once was led onto the back, uh, on the back of a camel playing a wireless saxophone, uh, led onto the stage performing in front of the pyramids. And I'm going, whoa. This lady's no small-time performer. She does big-time stuff. And I go, well, if that's your most exciting gig, tell me about your second most exciting gig. And she said, oh, that's really easy, too. And she goes, I had a chance to play for President Bush. I said, you played at the White House. She goes, yeah. And I said, what was that like for you? Now, here's another stopping point. The secret to being interesting in a conversation is to be interested. Find out what they're passionate about. Find out what makes them tick. Because I can tell you that what I've learned is behind that passion, there are usually things that God has put into their soul. And, and those are things you want to pay attention to. And so when I asked her that question, that, you know, what was that like playing in the White House? The response she gave me blew me out of the water. She said, Oh, I'll never do that again. And I'm like, really? I, I sat there and go, well, let me scratch my head right now. I'm thinking most artists would like to play at the White House like maybe once a week because I'm sure it came with a pretty good paycheck. She said, oh, yeah. I said, so what gives? Why would you not want to play again at the White House? Let's go back to our context. One month before the presidential election. You guys live here in the state of Ohio just like I do. 
You know we're a battleground state. You know a month before a presidential election, you're getting calls from Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're getting all these robocalls from very famous people all trying to woo you to vote for their candidate. And you also know that the rhetoric is hot and heated. People are like pit bulls going at each other. And here's what she said. She said, I will never again use my talents to promote any political candidate. And I said, I think I get that. And um, she goes, I just, I just hate what's going on in this country. You know, she goes, I just can't stand how Democrats and Republicans are demonizing one another and talking trash about each other. I just can't stand it. And then I just dropped a little pin. I just was, if, if you're a fisherman, you'll get this. I was chumming the waters. I said, you know, I feel the same way about religion. That's all I said. She hit that like a shark on tuna. I mean, she was all over that. She says, oh, tell me about it. I said, sounds like you've had some less than positive experiences with religion too. And she goes, oh my gosh, I hate religion. Now let's take a time out. Think about if you were sitting next to her and she just got done saying, I hate religion. Would you be thinking about having a God conversation with her? I think a lot of times today when people are... They're polarized. They're expressing their strong opinions. A lot of Christians, we've kind of recoiled in, into a fetal position. And we're just going to say, I'm not going to touch that. Not touch that at all. But what I've learned is that actually people who have strong, passionate feelings about something actually want to talk about it. They just don't want to get into an argument where, where disrespecting goes on and where a loss of civility takes place. And so what happened next was uh, really a Holy Spirit-led thing. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I said, um, I, I understand you hate religion. I just heard you say that. I said, I guess I'm just curious. What happened in your upbringing that caused you to have such a strong feeling about religion? And if you don't want to go there, I gave her permission. I said, listen... You've already told me you hate religion, so I don't want to be disrespectful. If you don't want to go there, that's fine. But I'm just wondering. So I asked her the question. She said, well, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. We were the, the poorest Jews in the neighborhood. And all the time, my family was the butt of everyone else's jokes. And I did some reflective listening. So I said, it sounds like you hate religion because for you, Religion has been painful. Religious people have hurt you. She goes, damn right. And you probably didn't expect to hear something like that in a church service. The reality is, if you can't handle language like that, you're not going to have many conversations with people outside the church. If you're going to radically accept them for who they are and where they are, you're going to have to hear some things you probably don't want to hear. And, and you've got to learn to stay in the room with difference. And, and not to freak out when somebody drops the F-bomb or the GD this or that. Because 
How can you expect generate behavior out of unregenerated people? It just isn't, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, uh, I said, so I guess um, your, your passionate hatred for religion really just comes down to the fact that for you, it's just been nothing but a hurtful people. Religious people have hurt you over and over again in your life. She goes, yes. And I said, I am curious whether or not, I know you, but I, I am curious. Have you had experience that you call something that was spiritual in nature? And she goes, you know, I have. And she starts to tell me a story. And when she was 12 years old, at 12 years of age, her parents were going through a divorce. Her dad was on one side, her mom was on the other. She was caught in the middle and they were both pulling at her, trying to convince her that their side was right. And at 12 years of age, she didn't know what to do with the tension. So she decided to take her life. That's your age, 12 years of age. To think at your age that someone would think about taking their life because their mom and dad couldn't get their marriage right. But that's what she was thinking. So she decided when her parents left for work, she was going to uh, overdose on her mom's prescription pills. So um, she went out one day. She described a, what was kind of like a park, a remote area. No cars, no people. And she was getting ready to start ingesting these pills and, and overdosing on her mom's prescription pills. And she decided to write a note to her parents to tell them she loved them but that she could no longer, she no longer wanted to stay on this planet. While she was writing the note, some lady appears out of nowhere. The way she told the story is like, I don't know how she saw me. I don't know. She said it was so weird. It was like she knew what I was doing because as I was hunched over writing my little note, she walks up and says, you don't want to do this. And it got her attention and she immediately she just poked her head up and she said, she's like, like thinking, who is this lady? I've never seen her before. Where did she come from? How'd she find me? And then the lady looked at her and said, your life is going to bring joy to a lot of people someday. And that totally blew her out of the water. It gave her hope that maybe to stay around and not take her life. And as she was thinking about what was being shared, uh, the lady disappeared. She was gone. Didn't know where she went. Never saw her again. And I said, you know, I, I don't uh, claim to be a person who knows everything, but is it possible that could have been an angel? And she looked at me and she goes, my gosh, I've never thought about that before. I said, and then, and then I stepped up and shared a little of my faith. I said, you know, I believe there's a God who loves us and cares for us. And I just put it this way. Is it possible that God was looking down over heaven and his heart was broken? The fact that you wanted to take your life simply because two adults couldn't get their marriage right. Is it possible that maybe he sent this lady 
to reach out to you. She goes, oh my gosh, I've never thought about it that way before. And I said, well, have you had any other experiences that you call spiritual in nature? She goes, you know, I have. And she starts to recount another one that happened when she was 21. She gets about halfway through the story and I start to chuckle and she goes, what are you laughing about? I said, you know, you really are a believer. And she went AWOL. She goes, believer, I told you I hated religion. I go, I know, but for the last 15 minutes, you sat here on this airplane, you've told me two stories that to me just literally caused me to go, hey, hello, God's been doing a knock-knock moment. He's trying to get your attention. I said, I realize you hate religion, but is it possible you have been dissing the God of the universe because you're afraid you'll have to become like those religious people who hurt you? And she goes, oh my gosh. You're getting me to rethink my whole life. And I said, I know you hate religious people. And I know you've grown up Jewish. Has anyone ever... Have you ever taken a look at the life of Jesus? Because I think you're actually going to like him and you're going to find a lot in common with him. Because you know what? He had some really hard things to say to religious people. So then I made the invitation. I said, you know, I, I consider it a privilege for the next hour, the remainder of our flight, to be your tour guide through the New Testament. I'd like to introduce you to Jesus, who was called a friend of sinners. And we'll just kind of walk our way through. If you've got questions, we'll do it. So for the next hour, we had a Bible study on Jesus on the airplane. When we hit the ground running, we hit the ground. The tarmac in Canada, she looked at me and she says, you know, I wish more people could have conversations like this. This has been so meaningful to me. Thank you for taking time to tell me about Jesus and to help me see the difference between religion and true spirituality. This morning, I'm hoping that you understand that conversations like this, God wants us to have these. There are people out there this week he wants to connect with on our route. And if we're just willing to show up in humility and listen, ask meaningful questions, find common ground, and let the Holy Spirit lead, we have no idea where it might go. You're saying, well, Doug, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this sounds pretty easy for you. This is the kind of thing you do. Well, uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, uh, this is why I wrote this book called God Space. And if you feel like uh, that might be helpful to you to help you increase in your own confidence and confidence, uh, my wife will be at the table afterwards, pick up a copy, and I'm pretty sure you're going to find like a lot of other people all over the world that there's some practical, doable ideas here that will help you increase the quantity and the quality of your spiritual conversation. Well, hey, we're at that point in time where Pastor Mike made it very clear when I came here. He said, Doug, you can come to the gathering. We'd love to have you. We just want to make sure you observe the greatest of the Beatitudes. And I said, well, Mike, which one's that? I kind of like them all. I've been to seminary, too. I've studied them, too. I, I don't know which one's my favorite. He said, well, here at the gathering, it's pretty simple. Blessed are the brief, for they will be asked back. 
So I kind of want to land the plane here, and I'd like to be asked back sometime. But as I do, uh, let me uh, close with a word of prayer um, as we uh, end our time here in this message. Father, even this morning, as I reminded of this incredible encounter with Deanna Bogert on the airplane, I don't know where she's at today. I just ask that you continue to bring other people across her path that would tug at her heart and be used of you to, to uh, bring her into your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of that day and that memory. And I know you want us all to have stories like this, that you have ordained that your church would be a church of people who are committed to knowing you and to making you known. I pray for this body of believers, the gathering, that they would scatter this week in ways that would honor you, that they would, uh, that you'd give them great insight in terms of how to be wise towards outsiders. That you give ear, them ears to listen and to hear where people are in their relationship with you and start with them where they are, not where they'd like them to be. Father, ultimately, I'd make this prayer so that your kingdom might be advanced and that um, someday we would uh, join you forever in your forever family. Thank you for the freedom we've had this morning to just freely talk about these things. I pray your Holy Spirit would uh, cause fruit that would remain. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.